1: Hello and welcome to The Arsenal Way, back for another episode of our View from the Clock End podcast. I'm joined by Kairnick. How you doing, mate? You good? You well? I'm
0: good. I'm good, thank you. Um, I've had an interesting day where I managed to uh, drop my laptop on my face, which, um, okay. yeah, it's, it's been a great start. Physically, metaphorically,
1: as, like, no, no, and metaphorically, like you drop the ball on a story or a something.
0: Little, <laughs> little dent on my nose with some more observant viewers may be able to notice where somehow I managed to drop my laptop on my face so it's, it's, been, a, it's been an interesting Thursday so far <laughs> but um, I'm hoping this will this will pick things up a bit more for me
1: well I'm sorry to hear that I've uh, <laughs> my laptop stays very much fixed to my table so. Uh, I'm it's a good place to I'm be. I'm never in danger of falling laptops. Um, but uh, no, good to see you, of course. And uh, yeah, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, listeners, wherever you happen to be tuning in from. Uh, do, of course, make sure you drop a like on the video and subscribe. And uh, you're following both of us on Twitter at SkyCar 97. And of course, on Facebook as well at Tom Kenton Media for myself and uh, Football.London for all of our written content. Uh, we're joining you for the first time after the closure of the uh, January transfer. Uh, window of course uh, we did a show on deadline day which we covered uh, a lot of what was going on at the time but with it now closed and a few days of reflection we can talk about things I think in a much more measured approach so Kyle what have you made of the window overall
0: pretty good I mean obviously Arsenal's main targets going into the window were players like Mikhail Mudrik and obviously Kivior was was a long-term target um Kaiseido emerged a little bit later in the window when the El neni injury became a bit more apparent but um given that Arsenal didn't get their two main targets i think it, it's gone pretty well if, you, if you've gone into the window at the start that we all have said the positions Arsenal needed to strengthen in were centre midfield central defense and out wide and they, they've done all of that the squad is definitely in a better place on february the 1st than it was on january the 1st so by those very basic metrics that the the window has gone well for arsenal i think obviously there's disappointment that they missed out on a couple of big targets um, but in both cases, there were circumstances beyond their control, and they, they did try. They really tried to get both players, but you know they weren't they weren't available. Chelsea bid silly money for Madrid, and Brighton weren't willing to sell at any stage for Moises Caicedo. I think just that late in the window was they left it a bit too late. Maybe you know would we'll, would we'll come a bit more specifically onto Brighton, but why Arsenal went so hard for Caicedo, we'll, we'll maybe have a conversation about that a bit later. But mm. I think it was a decent window for Arsenal. I, I don't know. We've, we've had this conversation already, haven't we? So if you had to give it a rating at a 10, probably 7.58, I think, for me. I, I don't know about you.
1: I I gave it a 7. I was on 7.5 until we let conga go. Um, I dropped it to a 7 after that, just because I felt as so though whilst the, I think the loan is, is good for him individually, and to regain that confidence, there's just something about, The fact that Arteta asked for he wanted more in midfields we've brought in a midfielder we've let go of a midfielder so you know technically not you know numerically added if you know what i mean I guess
0: what i would say about that is and even from a perspective where i agree with you it's it's strange Arteta one day coming out saying we need more in midfield and then basically ending up with the same numbers but from an Arsenal perspective largely likely now given that the club is still interested in Declan Rice and they still want to sign her in the summer that Albert Samuel Conga doesn't have a long-term future at Arsenal. Mm. I think we can probably guess that. We don't know it for certain, but it's looking like it's heading that way. And if that's the case, would you rather try and sell him in the summer where he's basically had another half a season on the bench with Jorginho coming in? He'll hardly play. Arsenal at the FA Cup as well. You can't see him starting too many of those important Europa League games because Granit Xhaka is a machine and he's able to play every game every three days and he never gets Mm. injured. And it's really impressive, you know, knock on wood and all that. But... I think it's a smart move from Arsenal. I, I don't think they are expecting it. I think Palace came in relatively late in the window, said, we want to take your player on loan. And he had conversations with Patrick Vieira. Vieira convinced him to come. Conger himself was a bit amb- ambivalent on the move at first. He did want to stay, but I think those conversations with Patrick Vieira convinced him. And from that perspective, if you're looking at an asset protection perspective, it makes sense. And you'd listen, there's always an element of risk in any loan spell. Will Gallagher, sorry, Will um, Laconga player. I had Colin Gallagher on my mind because he was Palace's low, low last year. But mm. they signed another midfielder as well, Ahamadia, on, um, on deadline day. So he'll have competition and they, they need legs in midfield, Palace. That's been an issue for them. But um, I think it's smart and I think if you come to the summer with a player who's got half a season of Premier League minutes under his belt, hopefully does well because I think we all see there's definitely a player there in Samuel Laconga. He's just maybe not quite torn it up at Arsenal as we were hoping he would do. But if you want to sell in the summer and the player's got half a season of really good Premier League experience under his belt, his value suddenly goes up by five, ten million, and that, as far as I'm concerned, is it's it's smart. It's it's obviously a bit of a risk given the lack of numbers in midfield, but for the individual case study of, of Albert Samuel de Conga, I think it does make sense just about.
1: Yeah, I I absolutely see those points of view, and you know, if if we get to the end of the season and we've not had to worry about injuries at all, it will make sense. However, if you know we've if we do witness some really poor fortune uh, in terms of injuries, we might end up regretting it. Uh, it is only one that time will tell, so we're we'll going to have to wait and see. Uh, of course, the player that we did bring in is Jorginho, as you've mentioned already. We did talk about him at length, and we did our deadline day show, which listeners you can of course check out on the Arsenal Way YouTube channel. Uh, but just after we've now had a couple of days to reflect on this, you know, I I like this deal. Um, I think that considering the players where you couldn't end up getting in the window. Being able to get in someone that can give you that immediate impact in that position can close the gap from the existing options that were behind Thomas Partey to add in more quality in the area. Now, all of these factors combined, I think, sees us getting a really strong option uh, for that area of the field, especially with now Europa League action returning in March. You can see a genuine level of rotation enabled to Arteta now in this squad, should he want to, through just just the one signing changes quite a bit, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, I think going back to what we, we were saying at the start is, is this Arsenal squad on February the 1st in a better position than it was on January the 1st? And I'd argue the signing of Jorginho definitely puts them in that position. Mm. Obviously, Mohamed Elneny is a player who's liked around the club, a player who's respected and viewed as a an important member of the dressing room. And that's why Arsenal are going to trigger his contract extension. They want to keep him for another year. Maybe that's a value protection thing. I don't know. But I I, I know mm. they want to extend his contract for another year. But even still, uh, with Spudlockonga going... I think Jorginho is an improvement on both of those players. I think he's better than both of those players. And I think that elevates the level of the squad. Mikel Arteta's big demand at the start of the window was any player who comes in has to improve the level of the squad. And Jorginho does. I think the the original apprehension when the news came out, when we reported it in the evening on Monday at Football. London, was, was I think, feared that will Arsenal be giving another 30-plus Chelsea player a long-term contract. We've seen it with Willian, Petr Cech, David Luiz, etc. Plenty more. And that was where people had their fingers burnt. Personally, I'm of the opinion that David Luiz was actually a decent signing, by the way, but that's that's for a whole other conversation. I get why people were apprehensive, but I think as soon as the, the information came out, we all were reporting that it was an 18-month contract with the option for another year. Suddenly, the deal made a lot more sense because it's short-term. If Arsenal then want to go out and sign a long-term backup to Thomas Partey, to Jorginho, uh, a replacement even in the long run, they can still do that and they can still do that without fear of it being clogged up because Jorginho will have minimal time left on his contract. So it'll be quite an easy player to move on. And, you know, he was considering going to Italy in the summer. Who knows if Arsenal go out and try and sign Moises Caicedo in the summer, he might still go. I think mm. he's a player Mikel Arteta really likes. And there are going to be some games where between now and the end of the season, it's going to get a bit hectic for Arsenal. We saw how nervous it was, the Man U game it's going to get even more nervous. That's just in January. So it's going to get even more nervous as as the season goes on. And I think in those kind of games, when you need someone to just come on and take the sting out of it, I don't think anyone's suggesting Jorginho is going to be a regular starter, by the way, again, Jocker no. or Partey. But when you need someone to come on and just take the sting out of games to calm things down, to play a few sideways passes and just slow the tempo down, Jorginho is your man. <laughs> there aren't too many better in, in in world football at just controlling the pace of a game. And I think Jorginho will be a good addition to this Arsenal squad. He's not going to be a regular starter, but he's here on a short-term basis. And in terms of the immediate aim of trying to win the league, I think he's a really smart move.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I don't necessarily see it like when the when the link came out, obviously with all the links to Caicedo and other midfielders, you know, I think there was an immediate kind of oh like really nice kind of reaction, I think, from a lot of fans. Uh, I know that we both had that when we were, you know, <laughs> we were chatting as the news kind of Uh, was filtered through to us and uh, it was like oh oh okay (laughs) like kind of reaction which is really harsh you know on Jorginho because he's a very good player but it was just the perception I think of the players and the money that was involved in what we were going for and I think sometimes it's a really easy misconception to make that the amount of money you pay for a player is representative of that player's quality compared to another player you've paid significantly more for but we know that money is such a it's it's so influenced by so many other factors um, that a fifty million pound player and a ten million pound player can actually give you the same output. It just because of their age, you know, what the club they've come from, the nationality they are, whether they're homegrown or not. You know, these types of things really impact price. And so, when we're talking about seventy million Kaiseido and then twelve million pound Jorginho, that perception I think is different. I'm also uh, there's a piece going out this afternoon where I talk about what I describe as the FIFAfication of football, uh, which is along the lines of. People get very obsessed about pace and speed and mobility being absolute necessities for players. And I think that comes from actually a culture of needing that in video games like FIFA. Um, and you see a player like Jorginho get dribbled past however many times a season and that perception obviously leads into kind of you know having these preconceptualized uh, things about players anyway we've mentioned Kaiseido um, and uh, we're very very lucky to be joined this afternoon on the views from the clock end by the Brighton correspondents for Sussex Live Richie Mills how are you doing Richie are you good Joel yes all good thanks guys yourselves yeah, very good. I'm just going to remove our faces from you so you're not uh, you're block, blocked away. There we go. <laughs> we can see you now properly. Um, of course, we've just been talking about Arsenal's transfer dealings, and Brighton were significantly intertwined with Arsenal throughout the window for two deals. Uh, obviously, Leandro Trossard that we ended up signing initially, uh, and then the the saga involving Caicedo. Just to touch on Trossard briefly, I know that we've spoken on the channel about him before, um, but what did you make of of his exit from the club and also now you had an opportunity to see him a little bit play for Arsenal. What have you made of his immediate impact to the club?
2: Yeah, it's a it's a shame that um, you know, a very successful few years ended on a a sour note because he was close to becoming uh Brighton's sort of record Premier League goal scorer, just a couple away from taking that record. You know, he was the top scorer, joint top scorer this season, joint top scorer last season. So for him to sort of throw his toys out the pram to push a move was a bit disappointing from a Brighton perspective. Um, fortunately, Kara Matoma and Co. have really uh, been firing in the goal, so they've managed to sort of uh fill that gaping hole fairly quickly. Um but yeah, from the little Club scene from him from an Arsenal's perspective, um he looks pretty good. I saw he got a lot of praise from I think Ian Wright and Roy Keane for his Man City performance. So um I guess uh, it looks like he's he's um, putting a bit more effort into how he's playing at Arsenal than he was in the tail end of his Brighton spell.
0: Um, speaking of spells potentially ending on sour notes, there was obviously the Moises Caicedo incident on social media. And that, I think, caused a bit of a stir down at Brighton. I think that's fair to say. I think it upset a lot of people. Um, We have a little Q&A section on the the podcast. I'm going to slightly jump the gun because it's normally in the the back end of the podcast. But I'm going to go with this question we got in from uh, John Frederick, who says, does a sour relationship with Brighton mean that if both Chelsea and Arsenal were to come back in the summer for Moises Caicedo, do you think Brighton would now be more inclined to go for Chelsea now that obviously that relationship has been slightly damaged by the the end of this January window and how Arsenal
2: have, have gone about things? i think maybe to a degree but for example if arsenal ends up offering more money and a better deal for him then i still think they would go for that i don't think they would sort of shortchange themselves just because of a little bit of bad blood i mean you could argue that well from a brighton fans perspective um chelsea probably in their worst books because they took half their team and personnel and whatnot so um, I don't. I don't think it would have that big a difference. But for example, if it was you know level pegging 50-50, potentially that could have the final impact.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that one. One of the things I noticed throughout the whole saga, um, and I'm curious to kind of get your thoughts on, is is actually the process of reporting on the story. Um, because obviously yourselves that were that you know are well connected and do know what's going on around the club there was a lot of backlash from Arsenal fans in particular, I saw towards um, journalists. Did you experience that during the saga? And if if so, kind of how did you find that whole situation from the Brian? Did you find my
2: burner account, basically? (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) Let's not talk about that. Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah, basically um, I tend to sort of keep my head, you know, below the parapet. I don't, Uh, I tried to get in broad in in that sort of stuff. But yeah, for example, there was, I think, some um, more prominent Brighton journalists than myself who who did get a lot of unwarranted and and, um, pretty unfair backlash, I think. And uh, I I think sometimes there's maybe a trend where people, um, if if someone has a different opinion or just is putting out a different side of it, then they will will get a lot of um, vitriol coming their way even if it's the the truth, and sometimes you know, Brighton having a, a very good season, Arsenal having a very good season, let's maybe focus on on that rather than who everyone's going to sign or, or not sign. Um, but no, I I, I, um, I stayed pretty clear of it. Thanks.
1: You managed to avoid it. Fair play. Yeah, I mean, me and myself and Kai, you know, tweeting about Arsenal, reporting on Arsenal, comes with its uh, its drawbacks, it's fair to say. And thankfully, most of the people that we engage with are brilliant, but uh, we'd be naive to not know about the, the darker side of things, which is shame. But no, it's good to hear that you didn't have to endure uh, that much. You know, on, on sticking with Kai Sado whilst we've still got you, um, are you expecting a fairly quick refocusing of him? Do you see kind of any challenging him how now I was not not getting the move obviously, um finding it hard to reintegrate. And how do you think the fans might, you know, re wel- rewelcome him or not welcome him back uh, to the fold? Yeah, well
2: well, first off it'll be interesting to see what Roberto De Zerbi does in terms of the Bournemouth team news on on Saturday. He's got his press conference on, on Friday, We're obviously chatting on Thursday. So Alexis McCaster, uh is suspended for that game, so that will really leave um, Brighton a bit short in midfield. So um, it would maybe be wise to bring him back in, just if they want to get the three points. Uh, going by sort of the reaction on social media, it seems um, that they will give him. They want to support him, you know, because Brighton had the chance to maybe qualify for Europe for the first time in their season, and it would probably be counterintuitive to. To not get behind the team and, and, you know, or boo him. There might be a, a smattering of boos potentially at, at the weekend, but I, I hope not. Um, he, he was back in training on, on Monday. Um, interestingly, he hasn't taken down the the Instagram post, um, mm. which I don't know, maybe shows that he's um, maybe under his head is turned. I hope for a budget press he isn't. And obviously, his agent has also come out today and, um, and basically said that you know that was the dream of his whole life to, to move to Arsenal. Um, I question that a little bit because in the past, Kaiseiro himself has said his dream was to play for Manchester United. So, um, I yeah, I'm not sure if there's a little bit of opportunism there on on his part. Um, We're the
1: same color, you know. Yeah, <laughs> both wear red. <laughs>
2: yeah, I guess. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think um, if if he if he is uh in the back in the starting lineup hopefully he can just knuckle down and and help brighton potentially achieve a historic season
0: do you, do you think that hypothetically if arsenal were to go back in from the summer do you think that relationship now obviously it was successful with trossard then white plenty of other interactions between the club in the past obviously i guess my my question is was the the anger that was reported from Brighton in terms of Arsenal bidding bidding twice. Was that overblown? Was that sincere? Did they genuinely feel really upset by that? And do you think there's a chance he'll move on in the summer? Or is is it likely that he'll move on in the summer now?
2: To answer your second question, I think it's pretty darn likely that he will move on the summer. I can't see it staying, even if Brighton offer him a, you know, really good contract. I just, I think... I think that's definitely going to happen in regards to the the first bit um I, I do think from from what i understand that they were brighton were a bit peeved that they that arsenal didn't get the hint but you know i think they basically from right from the off said he's not for sale um and i, I think maybe some of the the kind of anger is actually directed at Casado's uh, new agents football division i think they have done their best to sort of cause a rift or you know cause trouble um but i i yeah i don't know if it's completely burned bridges um i know i've I've seen some articles saying saying that um they probably have maybe on better authority than me but i I don't think it's like a you know end of but again it might might sort of play in their mind a little bit
1: Mm.
0: it's a shame because Brighton have got lots of good players so you'd you'd want to keep that relationship (laughs) going for as long as possible for sure
1: yeah. Yeah, you would. You would. I um, will see. Uh, time is the the biggest healer of all, as they say. So we'll see in six months uh, if indeed there is any business to be done between the clubs. Richie, thank you so much for taking the time this afternoon to jump on the show. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic stuff. Speak to you soon. Uh, You can, of course, follow Richie on Twitter uh, at Richie Mills. Richard Mills. I want to say it's Richard Mills eight. I will double check that, Um, but uh, I'll double check that in a second. But yes, uh, thank you to Richard for coming on and uh, and giving us all the information that we needed regarding. I said any thoughts now? Not obviously while Richie's gone and you feel you can talk behind his back, but (laughs) it's it's Richie Mills too, by the way, on Twitter. Um, And say all the things I think about Richie
0: to his face. It's all good.
1: Yeah no I, I think that's it's quite good to
0: get it cleared up from the Brighton end of things and the 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 stuff he was saying in terms of the relationship not being beyond repair I think is quite reassuring from an Arsenal perspective I think a lot of people can see what what was going on behind the scenes there I think it's it's pretty apparent without us needing to to say it explicitly so I think yeah it's 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 reassuring whether Arsenal will choose to go back in for Kaisedo in the summer whether they'll they'll feel that there's someone else they want to go and buy whether they feel You know, there's better value for money out there. Obviously, Declan Rice is their main target, as we've reported several times now in Football London. But um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's it's a tricky situation for Arsenal to to try and navigate. But for now, their squad is is pretty full. And you'd assume they're going to have to try and get rid of a midfielder, maybe two, if they're going to bring in players. But listen, they're preparing for a Champions League squad next season. So you can't just have this A team and B team. It has to be everyone's the A team. That's the level you need to be at in the squad for a Champions League if you want to do it every three days. You can't be just fielding a Europa League team in a Champions League group stage game because you'll get eaten alive. So Arsenal need to improve the the quality of some areas of the squad. And I think midfield, even with the Jorginho signing, is is still one of those.
2: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear?
0: Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, let's let's talk about football because um, there is actually football to be played, of course. Uh, before we we tackle uh, any of the questions that have been sent through, uh, we will obviously both be travelling up to Merseyside on Saturday for an early kickoff. A long day ahead of us, Kaya, because <laughs> of course, with an early kickoff, it's uh, you know a travel there and back to Liverpool all in one. Um, and of course, Everton is a place right now that is under new management in the sense of the manager's position uh, in Sean Dyche. Are you expecting a much tougher stubborn, defensively disciplined Everton performance?
0: Yeah, I, I think Sean Dyche is a much better manager than Frank Lampard and I think that's going to bear out on on uh, Saturday lunchtime. Obviously, Arsenal, when it goes to Goodison Park, they don't have the best record in the world. I think no. last season under Rafael Benitez, Everton had lost something like 10 games in a row. Arsenal turned up, they managed to win and then they didn't win again, <laughs> I don't think, under Rafael Benitez. So, that kind of tells you the, the, the sort of the bad luck that Arsenal have at Goodison Park. I would say it will be a tricky fixture because I do think Sean Dyche has a lot of the players there already who can play his style of football. If you look at Tarkovsky, Cody, uh, Coleman, uh, Mikviyenko, the left back, is that right? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, Mikolenko. Mikviyenko. Mikviyenko, I feel Matt like... Vienko is the like, Shatar defender. Oh, there Winning you go. Live, Sorry, uh, Brighton, <laughs> yes, the, the,
0: the left back. My, my apologies. But Idrissa Gay in front of that, Andrea Nana. I, you can see how Sean Dyche is going to set up. Dwight Neil on the wing. I could go through the whole Everton team if you want. Hmm. But you can see how they're going to play that sort of four-four-two style that Sean Dyche likes. I can see it being a very difficult game for Arsenal, and it's his first game in front of his home crowd. And obviously, the atmosphere around the club there is still very negative. I think there's a lot of anger towards the board. Um, obviously, it's at the board, and we've all seen the, the sort of the stuff going on around the club with the owners, and then being told to stay away from the, the ground. However, I do think in the ninety minutes, those Everton fans will get behind the team, and I think they'll get behind Sean Dyche because they don't want to get relegated. and if Everton are going to stay up, it starts here, and they're going to have to get a few interesting results along the way and a few shock results along the way. And historically, mm. they've been pretty good at doing that at home against Arsenal. So it's not going to be as easy as I think it would have been under Frank Lampard. I, I do. Sean Dyche, Mikel Arteta's record against him is poor. I, I don't think he's won many games against him. So I think, yeah, it's it's a, it's a potential banana skin for Arsenal. I think a lot of people are writing it off as a really easy game. Um, yeah. I don't know if you feel differently, but I, I, I don't think it's going to be an easy three points at all.
1: Well, looking back at the record, you know, we've lost three of the last four meetings we've played against Everton. Um, We've not won at Goodison Park since 2017. Um, So it's, you know, exactly. It's been a long time since we've managed to win this fixture. Of course, Everton have been a very different side of late. But that is under, as you say, a manager that's not as good as Sean Dyche in in Frank Lampard. I think Everton and Sean Dyche in particular will be looking to just try and stifle Arsenal as much as possible. You know, if they can get a point from this game, they'll look at that as a massive, massive victory. You know, the pressure's certainly on Arsenal. I think that Sean Dyche will probably be telling his players in a sense that this is a game that no one's expecting you to to get anything from. And it's an opportunity, of course, to show what we can be capable of. Um, And I think that is always dangerous when you go up a team that, yes, they have something to lose, but because there's no expectation on them to win this, it generates a feeling of we have nothing to lose. Um and so they're always that we think about Newcastle last season, you know, that cost us Champions League football, they had nothing to play for and yet could play with that freedom. And I think Sean Dyche may end up getting a little bit more freedom out of this Everton team on Saturday. So our has got our approach this professionally and of course with the team that we've got available, you know that we've got a very strong side that will be going there looking to dominate and try and play well. Do you see um, any changes to a potential team? I mean, Trossard was really good against City. Do you think there's any chance that he might start the Belgian? Or, I know it's a, a stretch to say Jorginho could come in, but do you think we might see him coming off the bench maybe at some point? I Off the bench, for
0: sure. I, yeah. um, I don't think he'll start. I don't think Trossard will start as good as they, they both were against uh, against. Man, sorry, as good as Trotton was against Man City. I think he, he had a great first half, but I do think he faded a little in the second, yeah. so I don't think there's quite enough there to be worrying Gabriel Martinelli's starting spot right now, and obviously Saka's going to start, isn't he? So, Eddie has to start through the middle. Reese Nelson is back in training, so that's, uh, that's yep, a piece that. he, he could be on the <laughs> bench. So, maybe there's, there's something there, but um, I think we'll see pretty much the same starting 11 as against Man United. I don't think Rob Holding will keep his place. Um, I don't think... Uh, what are the changes were? I don't think Tomiyasu will keep his place. I don't think Tierney will keep his place. And as good as Matt Turner was, I think obviously Aaron Ramsay will come back in. So they have that first choice eleven, but the difference is now when you look to the bench, as opposed to let's say the Newcastle game where Arsenal turned and all they could bring off the bench, really, all Mikel Arteta felt comfortable bringing off the bench was Takiro Tomiyasu. Now suddenly he's got players who can bring off the bench and he feels can really make a difference. So Jorginho, Trossard. Kivio, we don't know as much about, but if he needs to come on and, and lock things down, then you know maybe he feels a little bit more comfortable doing that. So I think we'll see the same starting eleven, but when you look at that bench, it is so much more reassuring to see the strength and depth that Arsenal have right now.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, without a doubt. Like I, I, th- I put up a graphic the other day, which I'll be honest got ridiculed in our little, or not a little. It's just you know our work chat, and uh, I, you know, to be honest, I didn't think it was the, that bad. You look at a second no. team, and if you, if you count Gabriel Jesus in it instead of Eddie Nketiah, um, and I mean he's got a fight for his place back. So at the moment he is behind Eddie Nketiah. You got Turner, Tommy, Asu, Holding, Kivior, Tierney, um, Jorginho, Smith Rowe, Fabio Vieira, Nelson, Trossard, jesus i think that's a
0: pretty good team like that's, that's, a, that's a team that can win most premier league games and uh, there's a lot of spurs fans in our, our work chat so i think that that possibly Ooh, says
1: and Man united as well and Man yeah. United's
0: you know all the bad ones there's an everton one in there as well actually there so is. you know there's a lot of a lot of rogue <laughs> opinions going on in that in that arsenal work chat but i think uh no i agree with you i think that second 11 is looking really strong and it's going to get stronger in the summer so that's really exciting
1: Yeah, it is. It is exciting. And I think that, uh, obviously, that's actually a point of the transfers that I wanted to discuss with you before we went to questions because um, there's two points... On, and I did a piece doing the winners and losers from the, the, the transfer window. My loser section, I put Edu uh, in there. And I can already <laughs> see your, your post. <laughs> I'm interested to hear your explanation. I'm interested to hear it explanation. Well, the reason why I put Edu in the loser section is A, because of the perception after the window. Um, so a lot of fans came out with a lot of criticism of Edu because, and we discussed this in our last podcast, the idea around priority targets and not getting those primary players. Now, I think you... Uh, you know, did really well to explain actually that the priority targets we've had. Jesus, for instance, instead of Vlaovic, we've always been interested in Jesus. And that, that is the case for a number of players that we've still signed. And that maybe it isn't a case of plan A, B, C, D. Maybe you have a plan A and another plan A, and you kind of look for the best of the two that's available. And I think that's a fair thing. I think from the perspective of this window that I look at Edu and I'm like, what could he have done better? And what happened throughout the window that made me think, maybe we missed the boat on a couple of things. Now, if I look at the Mudrik situation, for instance, our third bid that we put in, I think, was between 90 to 95 million euros with about 25 of that included as add-ons. Chelsea, of course, got the deal done for 70 plus 30 with a lot more of those structured payments said to be more upfront and more favourable for Shakhtar. We obviously have spent around 27 to 29 million on Kivior and Trossard after we missed out on... Um, on Mudrick. And then we put in a £70 million bid, which was said to be with no... Well, the £60 million was with no uh, add-ons. It was just a guaranteed £60 million fee. Um, and then the 70 was with a 10 in add-ons on top of that as well. And to me, I was like, oh, like, that's a, like, we had a lot of money, you know, to spend this window. And I feel as though if we'd have maybe been quicker and a bit more aggressive with that third bid that we put in for Mudric and, say, gone in earlier with that level of bid because I remember a lot of the reporting around it was that Arsenal need to be quick on Mudryk. They need to try and do this as quick as they can. And for me, I don't think it would be unfair to say that Edu was a bit slow or the club was a bit. Maybe it's too unfair to put it all on him, but maybe we were a bit slow with the Mudryk situation.
0: Yeah, I think you caveat it there. It's not Edu specifically, mm. but I think... The Magic he one, he heads it all, doesn't he? <laughs> so, yeah, he's, he's the face. He's the face. Yeah. Um, the Magic One, I, I guess what I'd say there is Arsenal did put their first bid in for him on Boxing Day. So mm. they were trying to move fast. They were trying to move early. And Shakhtar are very diligent negotiators. And I think they were really talking a long time. They were trying to get those talks done. And there's obviously the bids are the, the things that, Grab the headlines, but away from the bids, there's a lot more preliminary talks. There's a lot more sort of phone calls. Do you want this? Do you want that? What if we did this? What if we did that? Would this be interesting to you? Those kind of conversations go on before those those bids get submitted. And uh, Sergey Palkin, who who is the the person Arsenal were dealing with, is is notoriously tough negotiator. But Mm -hmm. I think I don't think it mattered when Arsenal got that done. I think Chelsea would have come in with that that money, and they they proved it. I think if Arsenal had submitted that third bid on January. Second, Chelsea still would have come in with their their 88 million pounds, and that's a, a height that Arsenal weren't willing to go to. And in fairness to Arsenal, if they felt they could get in for less, why would they bid more if that makes sense? So mm-hmm. I think they had their valuation for the player. They they put it they put up their valuation. They they tried to get him for less, as every team would. You don't go in for your in any negotiation, you don't go in with what you're willing to pay most at the start. You want to go in lower and then try and work up from there. But I think Arsenal's negotiation, I don't think there was too much wrong with it. I think just Chelsea came in with a silly bid and I think even if Madrid goes on to become a really good player, that's still silly money and just as the same they've done with Enzo Fernandez, I think Fernandez may go on to become a great player, but I think £105 million is, is silly money and yeah. Chelsea are doing this thing with the financial fair play, with the contracts. I don't think Arsenal want to do that and I th- in terms of financial fair play, I don't know if Arsenal would have been able to. I don't know the specifics of the finances, but would they have mm. been able to in terms of and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> My guess would be know as well, even with Champions League money coming in. So, listen, they tried really hard. They t- I know that that people hear that and they say, try hard FC and Eddie, you know, he doesn't get the big deals done, all that kind of stuff. And that's not enough yeah. for some people. And, you know, I guess I can't convince those people that that's fair enough. But I think it's harsh to say that Arsenal didn't go for the big deals. And I'm not saying you said that, but I think it's harsh to say that if, they, if they'd moved quicker, maybe it would have been different. They didn't go into expecting to get an Elneny replacement. Obviously Elneny's injury came midway through the window and then they had to act. But I don't know if you can fault the way they tried to... I think with, with the Caicedo deal, I think where you can fault them is wasting time on trying to get Caicedo when, as Richie told us earlier, there clearly was an indication for Brighton that they weren't going to sell him. So why waste time? Why not just get Jorginho in earlier if that was your target or try and get someone else in a little bit earlier? I don't know. But... I think the Mudrick deal, maybe if they'd gone faster, I don't know if it would have made any difference. And uh, Kaiseido just simply wasn't available. So I'd say it's harsh to call Edu a loser from this transfer window. I think the whole Edu out trending on Twitter is uh wrong myself. I think he's I think oh, yeah, I, agree. I think yeah. he's earned a bit of a bit of leeway and a bit of trust. And I think obviously it would have been great if Arsenal were able to secure some some players who are gonna be, you know, in the squad for the future and next five, six years. But to be honest, for the here and now. It's probably less of a gamble to sign someone like a Jorginho or a Trossard who is, Mm. you know, Premier League proven winner or winner in Jorginho's case, as opposed to Mudrik coming in from a foreign league who's not played for a couple of months because of the Ukrainian league winter break and Kaicedo who has never done it at the top level. So it would have been a risk, I think, um, bringing in those two as much as I think they're, they're as close to sure things as you can get because they're very talented young players and they're going to be great. But I think Trossard and, and Jorginho are very good second choices if you like, and like we've said a couple of times in this in this pod, Arsenal's squad now is in a better place than it was on January first, and that for me is is all they could have hoped for from this window.
1: Yeah, look, I think it's fair. I you know I there was a lot of criticism of Edu. It was it was way overblown. Um, that's for sure. And the Edu out trending was kind of mad. You know, I think you know fans get upset and angry too too quickly um, with respect and uh, whilst I have criticism and I still stand by some of it I absolutely understand what you're saying I think we can be more aggressive and quicker in certain circumstances for sure we certainly could have got the message from Brighton a bit quicker you know regarding I say though and maybe who knows what we would have done with extra time in the midfield I'm still very happy with the business we did you compare this to last January where we you know you can very easily point to the January window as one of the potential reasons why we didn't make Champions League football next season injuries is the big one but then the argument would be that you know we could have covered off some of those potential injuries had we have done the business in January which we didn't this time around there's no pointing at the January window we've signed competently players that are going to have an impact in the next uh few months or so as we go towards hopefully uh, a first Premier League title in 19 years um let's round off the show with questions. Uh, I know that we were pretty late in putting the tweet out, so we don't have many to go for that. So that's on us. We should have definitely been faster. Uh, We'll try and do that earlier next week. Um, Maybe we'll do it even 24 hours in advance if we can remember that we're doing it. Um, But uh, yeah, do you have a, do you want to kick us off with a question or do you want me to kick us off?
0: Yeah, I can do it. Um, this one's about Flo Balogun, who is obviously in superb mm. form at the minute. It's scored a hat-trick uh, on Wednesday night for Stad the Rams, top scorer in Ligue 1 above Mbappe, Messi, Neymar, and all the other fantastic players in that league. And the question is from Zander, who is at X4NDAR, as in Zander 85 mm. on Twitter. And he says, with Balogun's current form, can the club keep Jesus and Ketia and Balogun happy with game time, or do they have to sell one of the three if they do have to sell one of the three which one would you sell
1: it's real tough isn't it because i look at the squad and i'm like is there space for three strikers in it next season and and you look across the league and you look at other teams do they how many strikers do they have um you look at manchester city and they've got harland and alvarez you know as their strikers i'm looking i'm cole palmer i think can play there but rarely does um You've got Liverpool with Nunez. Jota can play there. Firmino's still there, of course, but will probably leave. But Jota and Firmino aren't strikers. You know, I wouldn't classify them as such. They allowed Origi to leave. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody at Liverpool, but it might be going over my head. Yes. Um, sorry. Nunez. Yeah, Nunez, Firmino, and Jota with a three. Oh, I said so. I was just trying to think if there was like a youth. Option, right? Been
0: playing up front recently.
1: Yeah, true. Gakpo is a, is a potential option uh, as well, and then you've got at uh, Chelsea uh, about a billion players. Uh, ironically, <laughs> not many strikers, because um, you've got Havertz, who I wouldn't necessarily class as a striker, but has been playing there. You've got Abamyang, of course, still there at the moment. Breuer is is currently injured out for a long period of time. So, this, yeah, of course, who so again I wouldn't necessarily class as a number nine, yeah, and more yeah, so yeah. similar to to Havertz, who plays off of a striker rather than as a striker. Um, And then you go to Spurs, you've got Kane and Richarlison. That's kind of their two. I mean, most of the time it's two with some versatile options. And at the moment, Arsenal have that because they've got Jesus and Ketia and then you've got Martinelli who can operate through the middle. And you've got Trossard, I think, who was covered in the middle as a nine for Brighton in the past. And so that's where I'm going. If you're Balogun and you've scored, and say he comes back as Liga top scorer, which could happen because at the halfway point, that's what he is. Um are you going to want to be third choice at Arsenal? Because he would be, and I don't think he will. And with two years left on his contract, I think you've got a decision to make because I don't think you can let it go down to the one year unless you extend it and loan him again. But that's the only way I can see a solution to it other than selling him for a very good fee. What do you make of it? It's tough.
0: I I need to check if Arsenal don't have a, a one-year extension mm. option. I'm, I'm sure they would. They tend to do that in most youth contracts, but... um, I double yeah. check on that before before being certain of it, but uh, I think so. With these sales, you look at the team who I think are the best sellers in in the Premier League. That's that's Liverpool. I think City are getting close to it, but I think Liverpool historically have been among the best sellers. And what they've done is they they through smart loans and through you know mixing and matching here and there, they have built up the profile of their young players. And look at Dominic Solanke, for example who is a player who was never really going to make the grade at Liverpool, not saying that Balogun's not going to make the grade, by the way, but who was never going to become a first-team player just because they had Salah, Mane, Firmino, who were starting every game, Origi beyond that, Minamino and Jota. So they took the decision to to sell for £20 million to Bournemouth, and that's proved to be a fantastic piece of business because you know Solanke has not gone on to become, I think, a £20 million striker. Now, I think Flo Balligan would be worth even more than that come the summer if he keeps up this goal-scoring form. And even if he's in the... The top five goal scorers in France. If he gets twenty goals in Ligue 1, that's a striker that most Premier League teams would want. And if you look at mm. across the Premier League, teams like Brighton, for example, they need a centre forward. Um, <laughs> pretty much every team in the Premier yeah. League could do with a good centre forward. And
1: I don't want to sell to Brighton. I refuse. Yeah, there you can <laughs> put
0: as many bids in as they want. Andy, they'll be serious. Not so, for sale.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I think there's there's plenty of plenty of clubs across the continent who will be aware of what Balogun's doing as well, because they think, you know, I think both men nine clubs have been mentioned. So yeah. there's teams out there that would pay decent money for Flo Balogun, and I guess it's a question of striking while the iron is hot, and do you then send them out on loan to another Premier League team, or maybe to another European team, and risk it not going as well? Or do you try and cash in this summer, and when his value's probably going to be at its highest, I'd, I'd suggest, a 20-year-old, 21-year-old striker, sorry, who's got you know, it's double figures in League already. He's going to come back, and I don't think he'll he'll play, even if he came back as the third to striker. strike. He can play out wide, and he has done for Arsenal in the past, but he's not getting the Hevedi, he's not getting into Gabriel Jesus, uh, Martinelli, Smith-Rowe, uh, Saka, Trossard. That's a pretty stacked front line, and you wonder if Arsenal might bring someone else in even on top of that. So mm. where does Balogun fit into that? Not in a position where he'd be a regular starter, I don't think. And would he want that right now? I don't know. It's a really tough decision. Yeah. Um. I think it basically comes down to what offers come in. If the right offer comes in for him, let's say a team comes in with $40 million for Flo Balligan, I'd be very tempted to accept that myself. Mm. If a good team, a good Premier League team comes in with a loan offer, I'd also be pretty tempted to accept that. So it's difficult to, to make any firm, I guess, decisions without... Knowing what offers might come in, but it's it's, it's a really tough one. I don't know what, what 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 would you do? Would you would you sell? Would you keep? Would you loan? It's 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 so hard.
1: Yeah, selling him to another Premier League team is a problem for me because um, I think he's good enough that he'd make an impact against us. Everyone
0: um, wants all the money though. That's the thing.
1: I know they are. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, you're going to be looking at... So, ironically, when you said... Um, I can't remember what the phrase you is, but you used the word iron. And I was like, hmm, would the Hammers right, well, be the, coming?
0: Yeah, West Ham would yeah. love it, that, I'm sure. Yeah,
1: and I was, you know, I think that with, uh, with someone that came, like I think Brighton is, the ironically, the obvious candidate um, for a, a team that needed a, a genuine forward coming. I know they've got the Ferguson coming through, but, you know, you don't know if this is just kind of a, a, a purple patch for him having got the opportunity or not. <sighs> A lot of fans Interstate love
0: that. Everton could do with one. There's, there's plenty yeah. of
1: teams. There are plenty of teams. But, you know, there is also a good argument to say that if Arsenal are seeing this guy score regularly, can we afford to let a, a potential top goal scoring talent leave the club? And that's the next question that you have to ask yourself. And that, may, that will be, you know, I assume assessed in the summer. Um, what he doesn't necessarily have, and this is what I think differentiates him from. What Jesus and what Inquieti has been showing in these last few weeks is that he is kind of more of a when he's playing striker that classic finisher, and Inquieti has started to kind of develop more his collaborative game. And it's not to say that Balogun couldn't also do that at Arsenal. I know he's played off the left at times as well, um, but I do look at him as more of kind of that that spearhead. Whereas like our number nines at the moment at Arsenal aren't necessarily being spearheads; they're being kind of these you know uh, enablers for those around them as well. I haven't seen enough of Balogun to outright say he could not do that because I've seen at moments where he certainly could and has shown some of that. But I think at once this season, he has been showing more of his ability as a natural number nine and a more traditional number nine. So it will be interesting to see what happens uh, in the summer and what Arteta wants to do with him because guess there is an opportunity.
0: One thing we didn't mention, which could be an option, is buyback clauses. They're very much yeah. a thing. Chelsea have used mm. them to great effect in the past. Look at Nathan Ake; they Real they, they brought him back, sold him yeah. for even more. Um, plenty of other players like that. And you know, if Arsenal were to sell, insert a buyback clause or a first right refusal that kind of thing, that would be really smart business. And in fairness, you know, we, we maybe were a bit critical of Eddie at the start, but tying down a young player like that to a long-term contract gives Arsenal all the power in this situation. They mm. can decide if they want to sell with a buyout clause, or they can decide if they want to have the first refusal, if they want to loan him, or if they want to keep him, It the ball's entirely in their court. And they've got a very promising young player. And, you know, there's plenty of teams in the Premier League to be interested. And as you say, plenty of teams across the continent. I personally would love that buyback idea because let's say Eddie Nketiah in a couple of years' time decides he doesn't want to be back up to Jesus anymore or if mm. Jesus decides he wants to move on or whatever, suddenly you've got already the option. So it's 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 really interesting. Um, it's really interesting. And, it's a chance for Arsenal and it's a chance for Eddie to prove that they're good sellers because they've been waiting for this opportunity. and They've, they've positioned themselves nicely and now it's over to them.
1: Indeed. Um, our last question that we'll tackle is from Imran at Khan Fused, uh, which is very, very clever uh, for his handle. Uh, it says, will Jorginho, Kivior and Trossard be the main options for the Europa League?
0: I'd say so. Yeah, I I think suddenly Arsenal look like they they have a squad capable of competing on on two fronts. And that's quite exciting, isn't it? So, yeah, Mm. it depends who Arsenal draw. I think if if, if they get Barcelona in the next round, for example, then Nicolai will probably go strong. And would he play Xhaka, Partey, etc.? Possibly. or you'd assume, will get his chance in the Europa League. But, uh, yeah, I guess they're all mainly Europa League players right now, bench players and Europa League players, because that Arsenal starting eleven is, is pretty set. Um, even the positions where we're debating at the start of the season, like left-back, will it be Zinchenko or Tierney? That's that has been won by Zinchenko. Uh, where else would we look for maybe a, a debate over who could play? It's hard to find one, to be honest. That starting eleven of, you know, Ramsdale, Zinchenko, Gabriel, Saliba, White, Partey, Jaka, Erdegard Saka, Martinelli, Ches- uh, ketia who are you taking out of that to bring one of those guys into the first team? I can't Ooh. say anyone deserves to drop out. So it's very difficult. So, yeah, Europa League, I think, is where we'll see the January signings really get their chance. And if they play well in that competition, who knows? Maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll get their chance in the Premier League team. But I, I do think Arsenal have been... They've had injuries this season. Obviously, smith rowe has been out for months. Jesus has been out for months. They missed Zinchenko for a couple of months. Partey was out for four weeks. So it's not quite been the case that Arsenal have been lucky. El Neni's been out too. I do think, though, that, you know, second half of the season, maybe we'll see a few more injuries to a few more important players. But Arsenal, as you said earlier, are now in a much better position to cope with that. So, yeah, I think primarily Europa League for those guys. But I don't know, would you, would you throw them straight in? I think it's, it's difficult to make that case, I think.
1: Yeah, it's, it is tricky. It depends, I suppose, what game you've got in the Premier League as well, like surrounding those Europa League fixtures. Um, if you're coming up against City, then maybe you want to. But there's also always an argument that momentum's really important. And if you do make too many changes for a game and you've, you know, you've, you've given some players minutes and others not, sometimes you can lose that that momentum. You know, the FA Cup, when we got knocked out, one of the strong arguments that we could have played our main team, obviously, with it being just a weekend game, is that we could have just carried the momentum going. And now, obviously, having got knocked out and defeated, we are looking for a response rather than a continuation against Everton. And that's why there's arguably a little bit more pressure on it than maybe if we'd have beaten Man City. So, you know, I think that there's always so many different varying factors and and pros and cons to starting players. I think you have to give players certain minutes um it's actually it's a topic I'm really interested about regarding kind of the idea of signing young players as backups because at the age they are, they need to play to develop. And if they're not getting those minutes, you maybe get a Sambi Laconga situation reoccur again. And I think there are a number of players in the squad that, that could soon be facing that reality. And you know, ones we've brought in like Kivior, for instance, you know, behind a young centre back in Gabriel, is he going to get enough game time to develop, you know, and be worth the investment we've put in him? So it's it's tough. And Arteta is never in the Premier League, I was talking about this this morning. In the Premier League, Arteta's never had to learn to rotate, really. He's always just been able to go, this is our best team and I'm going to play this in every Premier League game. But now, with a squad where you've got competitive options, he is going to have to learn to do what Manchester City do, where they rotate Grealish out and Foden in and Mares out and someone else in, the right-backs change, the left-backs change, the centre-backs change, the midfielders change. You know, You have to learn to be able to do that and maintain the quality and maintain the system and the style that you're trying to play. And Arteta's not had to do that yet. So that is going to be one of the challenges that he is going to face between now and and into next season, most certainly. Um, Any final thoughts before we wrap things up?
0: Uh, No, no. I think we're just very excited for what's to come in the second half of the season. It's been a great first half Mm. of the season. And hopefully we can can build and go forward from an Arsenal perspective. I think very few people expect us to be here. And I guess no matter what your thoughts are on the transfer window, it's great to be in this position and with the potential to kick on. So I know everyone will get behind the team in the second half of the season. I don't think I need to tell anyone that, but (laughs) yeah, I think we're all looking forward to it. So roll on May. Fingers crossed. It'll be a a very happy time then. And I think, yeah, next three months are going to be fascinating and fun and also frightening. So hopefully, you know, we can, we can keep ourselves relatively sane going through it, but I think it's going to be a good few months I think.
1: Yeah, just to give you uh, uh, an insight into what the fixtures are this week. And, of course, Arsenal will be travelling to Everton. Chelsea hosts Fulham. Brighton play Bournemouth. Manchester United host Samby Lekonga's Crystal Palace. Uh, Brentford play Southampton. Wolves host Liverpool uh, in a really interesting game. That actually, obviously, after their uh, cup clash recently. Uh, Villa against Leicester. Newcastle, West Ham, Forest against Leeds, and then the late game on Sundays, the big one of the weekend for many, Tottenham against Manchester City, um, which obviously Spurs have a very good record, but didn't necessarily follow through with it the last time they faced them just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, weird scenario for Arsenal fans again, uh, seeing that game play out <laughs> and what will happen. I'm just, what I'm going to say is I hope City drop points. I'm saying nothing about Spurs. I just hope City drop points. That's all I'm saying. That's that's all I'm putting out there into the ether. So do us a favour, please. Um, but thank you ever so much for listening. Kaya, thank you for your time, Out as always. Tell people they can find you and what you're going to be up to.
0: Yeah, thank you very much. Um, on Twitter, at KayaKainat97. On Facebook, at Journalist, And yeah, coverage of all the press conference with yourself tomorrow, Tom, from London Colney. And then the game, we're driving up at 6am, I think we're leaving on Saturday. Oh, so 5.30 5 for me, like, mate. 5.30 30 for me. Well, I've got the luxury of 6am, so... Going to be an early one, but uh, hopefully it'll be a, a, a trip worthwhile on the way up. I think
1: on Saturday, mm, indeed, indeed. Uh, thank you so much, everybody, for listening. But an absolute pleasure as always. We'll see you again very soon, and as always, keep following us down the Arsenal way.